this is one of the books of the New Testament that really doesn't get much attention. Uh, we, we don't typically hear uh, from the letter of Jude. Um, and uh, the, the plan this morning is to, to cover all of it, to cover all 25 verses. So we will uh, see, uh, by, if by God's grace, we can get through that. Uh, we will go relatively quickly. Uh, it'll be a bit of an overview, and we'll, we'll kind of get into to some specifics in some places as well. Uh, but I, I was drawn to this letter because uh, this morning we're going to be recognizing our seniors uh, that are graduating from high school. And uh, I just thought that this would be a, a good text uh, to preach on uh, to encourage them to persevere in the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. To keep pressing on, even in the next journey of your life, wherever the Lord may take these seniors, uh, that they would continue to walk in faithfulness to our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, of course, is a letter to the church. And so I pray that that would be a, an encouragement to us uh, to continue to persevere in our walks with Jesus. And so uh, I pray that, that would be, uh, uh, we'd be encouraged by that this morning as the church as well. So let's read this letter. I'm going to read all 25 verses of the letter of Jude. You can follow along with me in your copy of the scriptures. Church, this is the word of God. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perish in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, 
casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all, of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment of stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Church, would you please pray with me? Lord, we pray this morning that you would give us an understanding of your word, your holy scriptures that are inspired by you. God, would you work in each of our hearts this morning? Would you use your inerrant and infallible word to pierce our hearts, to convict us of sin, to lead us to obedience to you? Lord, I pray this morning that for those in this room who may not know you by faith in Christ, that they would see the grave danger that they are in, the judgment that is to come for those who teach falsely about you but also don't believe in you. God, help them to see the grave danger that they are in, the judgment that is coming. But God, help them to see that there is hope in the midst of that impending wrath to come. And that hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus, to live a sinless life and to die a sinner's death, to take on our wrath that we deserve because of our sin. And he rose victoriously on the third day from the grave, defeating sin and death once for all. God, give those those people here this morning, our friends who don't know you by faith. Give them faith to trust in the gospel this morning. And Lord, for those who are in the faith this morning, Lord, would you encourage us to persevere, to remain steadfast in our faithfulness to you, to continue to walk in obedience to your holy scriptures, to continue to glorify you with our lives, to hold fast to sound doctrine, 
to persevere in the faith. And Lord, for the beloved brothers and sisters in this room who are weary, who are going through trials, who are struggling, God, would you encourage them with the reality that you will keep us to the end, that you will empower us to continue to walk in faithfulness to you, that you will continue to empower us to persevere through whatever this life may bring. And so, God, would you give us that hope this morning as well. God, we pray that you would be exalted as your word is proclaimed. We pray this in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since we're going through this whole letter, I want to just provide a brief outline uh, to, to kind of give us a, a handle for where we're going this morning. Uh, so in the first couple of verses, we see uh, the greeting. We see uh, the author, and we also see the audience. Uh, and then in verses 3 through 16, which is the largest section of this letter, we see the condemnation of false teachers. Uh, so we see these false teachers who are sneaking into the church, creeping into the church unnoticed, and, um, and they're, they're teaching uh, what's called antinomianism, which is a fancy word of saying. They were, uh, they were giving an excuse that you could, because of grace, you could live however you pleased. Uh, you could live however you wanted to live uh, because of God's grace. Um, so they were, they were teaching against the law. They were teaching against uh, a, an obedience to God that is motivated, that is compelled by uh, faith in God's grace in our lives. And we see many Old Testament uh, illustrations, examples to, uh, to make this point, to, to show this impending judgment that is to come uh, upon false teachers. And then in 17 through 23, we see a charge for believers to persevere in the faith, to keep pressing on. And then in verses 24 and 25, we see the means. We see the means by which uh, God uh, empowers believers to persevere in the faith. So that's the outline of, uh, of our text this morning. We will uh, break that down uh, section by section uh, as we go along. So first of all, verses 1 and 2, the greeting. First of all, the authorship. Uh, so this letter is written by Jude, uh, the brother of James. And so who is uh, this Jude? Uh, well, most scholars believe this to be uh, Jude, uh, the half-brother of uh, Jesus. Um, in, in Matthew 13, 55, uh, uh, Jesus' half-brothers are listed. Uh, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, or Jude. And so, uh, so I, I believe this to be Jude, the half-brother of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, or the, uh, the brother of James, uh, who was the leader of the church in uh, Jerusalem. And John 7 um, tells us uh, another account of, uh, of Jesus with his, with his brothers as well. Uh, this is before the Feast of Booths. And so uh, his brothers are telling him, hey, if you, would, uh, if you are really who you say you are, if you are really the Messiah, then you would go and you would make your works known among all the people. You would, you would live out uh, who you are before everybody. And Jesus' response is, you don't understand, it's not my time yet. It's not time for the Son of Man to be revealed. In John 7, verse 5, it says, For not even his brothers believed in him. And so Jude and the other brothers, they were, they were doubters, right? They were, they were uh, ragging on their half-brother Jesus, you know, as a, as a sibling would do, right? You're not who you really say you are, right? Uh, we, don't, we don't believe in you. And so they, they doubted uh, that Jesus truly was the Messiah, 
they didn't believe in him, even though they grew up with him and witnessed his life. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah, the anointed one of God who, was, who, was, who would come into the world to save sinners. But by God's grace, at some point, uh, Jude's eyes were opened up to who his brother. He, in fact, was uh, the Messiah who came into this uh, earth to dwell among sinful mankind, to, to give his life as a ransom, to rescue sinful mankind like you and I. And so uh, now we have this letter. He's come to faith, and we have this letter uh, from Jude. So who is his audience? Well, his audience was two believers. Look at verse 1b. He says, To those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So these are believers. And the original audience would have uh, likely been a, a group of believers somewhere in Palestine. And, um, and so, but by extension today, we know that this is written to the church. This, this is to believers today as well. Um, so I absolutely love just the way that, uh, that Jude describes believers in, uh, in this verse. He says that followers of Jesus are beloved uh, by God and kept for Jesus Christ. So beloved and kept are passive participles. So these are things that are being done to believers, to us, to you and I who are in the faith, that he uh, bestows his love upon us and he keeps us. So it's, it's something that has happened to us, is done by God, and it also has ongoing uh, ramifications. It has ongoing effect in our lives. So we are beloved by God. He pours out his love on us and he keeps us uh, from the time he calls us to himself and also until the end. And we will see this theme as we continue to go through this letter. So that is uh, just a beautiful way of uh, describing uh, believers, that, that we are beloved by God and we are kept by God. Uh, what, a, what a glorious truth that is. Uh, well, that's, that's the introduction. That's the greeting. Uh, so verses 3, six, three, 3 through 16 is really the largest section of the letter. And uh, this is where we see the condemnation of false teachers, the judgment that is coming for false teachers. So these false teachers were sneaking into the church. We see that in verses 3 and 4. Jude begins uh, this this section of the letter by calling his audience beloved. He's this this language of of a father and child, right? Like, uh, you know, beloved, I I have a deep and and intimate uh, affection and, and care for you. Uh, you are a dear one to me. And so this just shows the intimate love and deep care and concern that Jude had for his audience, for the believers that he was writing to. And Jude desired, desired to write to them about their common salvation in Christ. Uh, but a more pressing need arose uh, to the top. And he said, I have to address this. I wanted to write to you about the theme of salvation, but now I've got to address these false teachers who have, who have uh, snuck into the church um, and have begun inserting their false doctrine into the life of the church. And so these, these false believers, these false teachers, they, they appear to be believers, but in fact, they are apostate. They, they seemed as if they were believers who were walking in faithfulness to Christ, but they, in fact, were not uh, they fit in uh, with the believers. They knew the language. They knew the culture. But in reality, they were not believers. 
Uh, they, had, they had snuck in uh, to the church sort of like a spy tries to, to sneak into uh, another country, right? And to get to know uh, these, these, uh, the locals in order to get information for their home country, right? And, and to pass that information back. Uh, so they, they kind of snuck in like a spy would sneak in uh, to another country in order to obtain information from them. Um, and so these, these false teachers had, had crept in. But now they've been found out. They, they've been identified, right? And so now Judah's saying, I must address this issue. This is an essential issue for me to address. Uh, I wanted to write to you about the common salvation we have in Christ, but now I must uh, confront these false teachers because this is a serious matter that needs to be taken care of. So these, uh, just as a side note, these false teachers were not... Uh, a surprise to God. I mean, look at verse uh, 4. He says that uh, they were long ago designated for this condemnation. So this was not a surprise to God. This was preordained by God, right? He he knew that these false teachers were going to come, and they were were going to try to deceive uh, the believers in the church. And so uh, this was not a surprise to God. And he goes on to, to describe these false teachers, and he calls them ungodly, so they're living in a manner that does not honor God. They are rejecting God's authority and his plan. They're perverting the grace of God into sensuality. And so, uh, they, again, they taught antinomianism. They said that, uh, that you can live however you want. Because, because God is gracious, you can just live your life however you please. You don't have to fall under the authority of God's word. Uh, you can just do whatever the, your flesh uh, pleases. That, that's what they were teaching. They were presuming upon the grace of God, and this led them to live uh, immoral, immoral lives. This says that they also denied the Lord Jesus Christ. They denied him as master. And so they, they taught and they lived in a way that clearly uh, lifted them up as Lord of, the, of, of their own life, and they didn't come under the authority of the lordship of Christ. So they rejected Jesus as Lord, they rejected his word as, as the, uh, the way in which they were to live their lives. Uh, they denied our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, and have set, had set themselves up as their own Lord of their life. Now, because the false teaching had infiltrated the, the church, uh, Judas call, he called the believers to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So this contend language, this, this is a, an athletic language, just like a, a wrestling match, like you're fighting for the faith. Like you need to confront them and you need to fight for the truth. You need to fight for uh, the, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints because having sound doctrine is absolutely essential. And so he's saying you need to, to contend for this, brothers and sisters. You need to fight for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Continue to teach the orthodox doctrine that has been given to you. Um, uh, the, the, the faith has been entrusted to the people of God, right? It has been, it says here, it has been trusted to the saints. Well, who are the saints? The saints are the, the, the people of God, the church, Right, the gathering of the saints. And so the truth, the, the, the sound doctrine, the gospel has been entrusted to the church to continue to be faithful, to pass it down from one generation to the next. And so that is our responsibility, to, to maintain sound doctrine and pass that from one generation to the next. And how do we know what is sound doctrine? Well, we have God's very words, right? We have the inerrant, infallible word of God that provides us for all that we need for life and for godliness, 
And so this is our standard, right, for sound doctrine. Um, and so that is how we know what is the truth. So we are not to accept and to teach things that are contrary to God's word. We are to remain faithfully committed to the scripture. So we can't just uh, accept whatever is, whatever is popular in the cultural moment uh, or whatever is pleasing to the flesh. No, we are bound by the scriptures, right? We are bound by the word of God. Jude goes on in verses 5 through 16 and he uses several Old Testament uh, examples to illustrate the judgment that is to come upon these false teachers. So we're going to walk briefly through those. And uh, just uh, before we do that, uh, one of the, this is one of the main uh, purposes of this letter, is to ensure that the readers know, to ensure that the believers know, that the church knows, the serious uh, nature of, of teaching something that is contrary to the truth. It is a serious matter that is going to lead to judgment by God, right? So this is one of the main purposes of this letter. And uh, let's take a look at some of these uh, illustrations that he uses from the Old Testament. First of all, in verse 5, the deliverance of uh, the Israelites from Egypt. So the book of, um, uh, of Exodus recounts the enslavement of the Israelites in Egypt. And also uh, the miraculous way in which they are rescued from Egyptian slavery by God uh, from, uh, yeah, from the Egyptians. And so shortly after they're rescued, they're, uh, they, they begin to grumble, right? They're, they're, they're out, they're off on their own, they begin to grumble. They, they, they begin to, to show that they have a lack of faith in God. The, the, the God who just powerfully, miraculously delivered them from Egypt now they are lacking faith in God. Numbers 11 uh, says that they complained about not having meat, right? And what did God do? Well, he, he, he just brought them a whole bunch of quail. But not only did he bring them, give them the quail, give them what they wanted, but he also, he also cast plagues upon them, right? There was, there was judgment that came along with their grumbling, with their lack of faith in him. Numbers 14 they're weeping and grumbling after all the spies go into the land of Canaan and they come back with the report, these people are too big. This, this city is too fortified. How are we ever going to uh, overtake them? So they, they lacked faith in God. And what was the judgment? Well, that that generation was not going to enter into the promised land. So for 40 years, they're wandering in the wilderness that was the judgment that came because of their lack of faith in God. Now, just as the Israelites were judged for their sin, for their rebellion against God, so too will these false teachers who are teaching contrary to uh, the word of God, they too will receive the judgment of God unless they repent. Verse 6, the fallen angels. So these were angels who lived in heaven, who were messengers of God, served the Lord, but they had decided to rebel against God, right? Um, they, they were in the light. They were in perfect relationship with God, but now they are in the darkness, which is a sign of death, a, re, a sign of sin and rebellion against God, and, um, and whereas light represents righteousness and purity and, and holiness and faithfulness to God. Uh, but these fallen angels are now demons. They are uh, the enemies of God. They were servants of God, and now they are servants of Satan. And now they are under the just judgment of God. 
Now, in a similar way, these so-called believers in Jude, uh, in, in this uh, day and time, they, they appeared to be servants of God. They claimed to be servants of God, but in fact, they were not. They had rebelled against God, and just as the, the fallen angels uh, were uh, receive, going to receive the just judgment of God, the eternal chains uh, that they are set in, uh, so too will the, those who teach falsely of God's word. Verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah. Those in Sodom and Gomorrah practiced sexual immorality, chiefly homosexuality. They had an unnatural sexual desire. And because of their unrighteousness, what did God do? Well, he destroyed those cities, right? He burned them, right? He destroyed, he, he cast his judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah because of their unrighteousness. And once again, this is another illustration just, to, to, just as the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were burned up by the fire because of their unrighteousness, so too will these false teachers, uh, those who claim to be believers even, who claim to be followers of Christ, but in reality are not, they are going to experience that same uh, judgment from God. So these false teachers taught that one could live however they pleased. The, you, you, they presumed on God's grace. They believe that you could live a sexually immoral life, right? But the reality is that those who, uh, who, who reject God and live in unrepentant sin, they will experience the eternal, they will be cast into the eternal lake of, of uh, fire, right? Um, and so they will experience the wrath of God, the serious judgment that is to come. So that's Sodom and Gomorrah. Verses 8 through 10, we see a further description of these false teachers. Uh, they uh, relied on their dreams for, as, as a source of divine revelation. Uh, now, we can get into the debate on you know, whether God uses dreams to reveal the truth to people. Um, but the, 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 point here, the point here is that their dreams were in contradiction to the Scriptures. They were in contradiction to the Word of God. And so that is the issue. So anytime somebody comes with a dream or some sort of personal experience that they had and it's contrary to the Scriptures, you've got to say, Brother, sister, like, we gotta look at, we got to look at the Word. we got to look at the Bible and see what it says about that. Um, and so it has, to, it has to be filtered through the lens of the Scriptures. And so these false teachers were, uh, were coming up with these, these false teachings, right, that were contrary to the Bible. They also defiled the flesh. So they were living in sexual immorality as those in Sodom and Gomorrah did. They, they, they're, they're lying the glory of God. They, they were defiling their flesh, living in sexual immorality. They also rejected the authority of God, and they lacked a reverence for God. So they, they rejected the authority of God just as the fallen angels did. The fallen angels, they, they thought they could find something better, have their own power. And so they rejected God, and they, they fell, and they became demons. So in the same way, they've, they've, these false teachers have rejected the authority of God. And they blasphemed the glorious ones. So they, they blasphemed um, the, the angels. I believe this is a reference to uh, angels. Uh, angels are messengers of God's word. And so these false teachers, they were, uh, they were rejecting both the angels, the messengers of God, and their message, which their message is coming from the Lord, right? And so they're, they're reject, ultimately rejecting God, and they don't have a reverence for God. So um, that's, that's verse 8, this description of these false teachers. In verse 9, we see a commendable uh, example of how to revere and submit to God's authority. Let's look at verse 9. 
But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Um, And so Deuteronomy 34 provides us with the account of Moses' death. And in verse 6 in Deuteronomy 34, it states that nobody knew, even to that day, where the body of Moses was buried. Nobody knew what happened to his body. And so one of the Jewish traditions was that there was this spiritual warfare over Moses' body. Um, this, uh, this, the archangel and, and the other angels were, were disputing over Moses' body against Satan and his demons. And so there was this, this battle over uh, his, his body. Um, now, although uh, the archangel Michael had the authority to rebuke uh, Satan and his demons, he deferred, right? And he said, the Lord rebuke you. And so he humbly came under the authority of God and uh, faithfully represented God and said, the Lord rebuke you. And so that's the commendable example that we see here. Now, verse 10, uh, continuing on through the description of these false teachers, uh, we see that these false teachers had a lack of understanding. and They blasphemed the things that they didn't understand. So they didn't understand the truth. And they blasphemed those who, who taught the truth. So they, they lacked understanding of the truth. That was the, they lacked understanding of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And they, they, they taught contrary to that. Um, and so that also led them to not live a life that was a man, in a manner worthy of the gospel. They, they lived an immoral lifestyle that, that rejected the authority of God. So that's the description of these false teachers in verses 8 through 10. Verse 11, we see Cain, Balaam, and Korah. So Cain is a reference from Genesis chapter 4, right? So the Lord had favor on Abel and his sacrifice, but the Lord did not on Cain. And so Cain was jealous, and he eventually murdered his brother Abel. And so the, uh, in the Jewish tradition, like Cain, if you mentioned you were like Cain, a son of Cain, you're, you're, you're characterized by, by sin, right, by unrighteousness. Uh, to be called a son of Cain would have been just the epitome of wickedness, of unrighteousness. And so just as Cain was wicked, so too are these false teachers, that, that these false teachers are an epitome of wickedness and unrighteousness. And then Balaam. Uh, we see Balaam, uh, the son of Beor, in Numbers 22 through 24. He was a Midianite prophet that uh, was summoned by Balak, the king uh, of Moab, to bring about a curse upon the Israelites. And there's several Old Testament texts um, that, that um, uh, put uh, Balaam in a negative light, that, uh, that clearly show that he was living in, in rebellion against God. And uh, really, he was consumed by greed. Uh, he was consumed by a greed, a desire to make money uh, and to make himself known. And he also led Israel into idolatry and also immora- to live immoral lives. Second Peter 2.15 is also an account of Balaam as well. And he said, this is what Peter says, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. So again, Second Peter here is talking about false teachers as well. Uh, there's, there's a lot of similarities, actually, between Second Peter and the book of Jude. Um, and so, again, these false teachers, they were, they were out for their own selfish gain. They were living for their own pleasures. Uh, they were living for themselves, just as Balaam. And then in, uh, we also see Korah. This is an account from Numbers chapter 16. 
Uh, Korah led a, a group of 250 Israelites to rebel against Moses. And everybody was gathered around their tents, all the Israelites. And Moses says, get away, get away from their tent because the Lord is going to judge them. And what did the Lord do? Well, he swallowed them up in the earth, this earthquake, and they just swallowed up into the earth, all 250 of them and their families. So because of their uh, rejection of godly authority, they were judged by the Lord. They rejected Moses, who was the leader that God had put in place for them to obey and to submit to. God poured out his wrath upon them. And so this same judgment is poured out upon the false teachers. In verses 12 through 13, we see vivid imagery that uh, paints a picture of these false teachers. They're called hidden reefs at a love feast. So the idea here is that there's this hidden rock in the ocean. You can't see it. It's just below the surface. And this ship, is, if the ship runs into it, it could be grave danger, right? The whole ship could sink if it runs into a rock that is hidden under the water. It can destroy uh, the ship. It can destroy all that's on there. It can destroy all the life that is on the ship. And so there's, there can be great danger in this hidden reef. And, um, and, and so the, the false teachers are, are in the same way. They're, they're providing this unseen danger to the church uh, that we can't quite see. Uh, but once we run into that issue, it's going to be a major problem. It's going to be a major problem. And so they would, they would also, these false teachers would feast with the believers, right? They would, they would share meals together, which is one of the major ways in which bonds are formed between people. Uh, and these false teachers were utilizing these meals as a way to insert and to teach their false doctrine and to spread that within the body. And they were, they were seeking to persuade believers of their antinomian beliefs. And the other thing here is that a typical, um, a, a, a typical uh, love feast would end in the Lord's Supper. And so the Lord's Supper is one of the most unifying acts that we can do as a church, right? We are corporately together saying that we believe in Jesus' crucifixion, his shed blood on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sins. And so that is one of the most unifying acts that we can do as a church body. It shows that we are unified as a church. And so what's the problem? Well, these false teachers were not unified, right? They were teaching a contrary, uh, contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so for them to share the Lord's Supper together in unity, that was, that was not good. And so Jude was also concerned about that. So they're, they're hidden reefs at the love feast. Shepherds feeding themselves. So shepherds are called to do what? Well, care for their sheep. They know their sheep. They protect their sheep. They feed them. They watch after them. They make sure that their sheep are taken care of, right? They, they, they will give up their own life to protect their sheep from uh, fierce animals uh, who are seeking to devour their sheep. Well, these shepherds, these false teachers, were just worried about themselves, and they were feeding themselves. They were worried about their own self. On the other extreme, we know that Jesus is the good shepherd, right? Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Clouds without rain. So these clouds, they're, they're dark. They look as if there's just going to be this downpour uh, that comes down, right? And nothing happens. So that's, that's what the, the teaching of these false teachers is like. It looks as if it's promising. It looks as, looks as if it's enticing, but it's not. 
It's not satisfying. Um, it, it leads to destruction. Um, and so that's, that's the picture there. Late autumn trees without fruit. So this would be the very end of the harvest season, right before the winter. There's a very low expectation of fruit. And so uh, the lives of these false teachers, they, they produced very, very little fruit, and their fruit was ungodly instead of godly fruit. It says that they are twice dead and uprooted. So this is a sign of judgment that is to come for these false teachers. They claim to be a part of the vine, right? In John 15, they claim to be uh, one of the branches uh, that are connected to the vine, but they are not actually in Christ because they are not bearing fruit. John 15, 6 says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, and they are thrown into the fire and burned. Matthew seven nineteen. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, and it is thrown into the fire. So this is a, a picture, an image of the destruction that is to come, the judgment that is to come upon these false teachers. They're wild waves. They're out of control. They're untamable. Their shame is visible for others to see, just as we see the, the foam of the, of the waves that come up on the shore. They're wandering stars in utter darkness. So this darkness, again, is a, is a symbol of unrighteousness and of death. And we also see the, the word forever there. So this is an, a picture of the eternal death, the eternal death that is to come for those who do not believe the gospel. For these false teachers and all who would reject the gospel, judgment is sure, and that judgment is lasting. It is eternal. Verses 14 through 16, we see Enoch. He was the seventh generation from uh, Adam. See this in Genesis chapter 5. And these verses, uh, we see a citation of First Enoch 1.9. First Enoch was, is not scripture. Uh, it's something that was written between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the intertestamental period. Uh, it was likely written maybe around the second century sometime. Uh, again, First Enoch was not accepted into the canon of scripture. Uh, now, although it is apocryphal uh, um, literature, uh, this, this doesn't mean that there is not truth found within uh, a book like First Enoch. And then furthermore, I would say that these verses are very uh, similar to the, the theophanies and the judgments that come uh, in other parts of the scriptures as well. So it's very uh, like uh, other parts of scripture. So the, the, the theophany here and the judgment here is in verse 18. Um, sorry, not verse 18, in verse uh, 14. He says, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. So that's uh, to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So that's, that's the citation there. And so this is not, uh, this was very common for other uh, theophanies and judgments in, in the Old Testament as well. So judgment is coming for these false teachers. And then in verse 16, we see this, uh, this sin of the ungodly uh, is, is described in verse 16. They're grumblers. So they're complaining against God. They're malcontents. They're unsatisfied with the provision of God. They're following their own sinful desires. They're giving into their flesh. They're doing whatever they please. They're loud mouth boasters, so they're prideful. And they're also show, showing favoritism to gain advantage. They're, they're you know, uh, coming up next to people, kind of befriending people just for their own personal advantage, right? So they can have their own personal gain. 
That is, that is the reason why they're uh, showing favoritism for their own gain, their own advantage. God will judge the ungodly. Um, God will judge these, um, these, these false teachers as we see as we continue through verse 16. We, we, see, we see the holiness of God here, right? We, God is holy, and so he must punish sin. He must punish unrighteousness. He must punish rebellion against him. And we are all rebels of God, right? We are all sinful. We have all fallen short of God's glory. We have all fallen short of his standard of perfection. He is set apart. He is perfect in every way. He is holy. And you and I, we are born into sin. And we are born under the judgment. We are born under the curse of sin. And we are all deserving of that judgment. Perhaps you're here this morning and you, you don't know the Lord. And perhaps you're here and you maybe have a lot of doubts about uh, God. Well, as a reminder, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, he had some doubts about the Messiah, right? He had some doubts about his half-brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you're in good company there that to have those doubts. Perhaps you're here and you're, you're doubting that, that God is not even really out there. You don't really believe that there's a God out there. And if he is, then he doesn't have anything to do with my life. Or maybe you, you doubt that Jesus really is who he says he is. Well, friend, I would just encourage you to at least be willing to consider, consider what if there is a God out there? What if there is a, a plan of redemption to rescue me from sin and death through faith in Jesus Christ? Perhaps you came here with a friend or a family member this morning and who, who is a Christian, I'm sure that they would be overjoyed to, to, to have conversations with you, to, to talk through some of the questions that you have about the faith, to walk through some scriptures with you. I would just encourage you, friend, to at least be willing to, to have an open mind to consider if the gospel is true. I know that that would be just, that your friend or your family member would be overjoyed to, to have that conversation with you. And I would encourage you, friend, to do that because literally life and death are at stake. Because if what I'm preaching is true, which I wholeheartedly believe is true, then friend, you are under the wrath of God. You will face God and he will say, depart from me for I never knew you. You will be cast into the eternal lake of fire separated from God, under his judgment, forever. If this is true, which again, I believe it is, then this is of grave significance. It is of utmost importance to truly consider, is this true or not? Because life and death are at stake, friend. Life and death so I urge you to at least consider, consider, could this be true? Could this be true? And look to the scriptures. Talk with a, friend, a trusted friend or family member who knows the Lord, who could walk through some of these questions with you. 
Friend, I urge you to repent of your sin and to trust in Christ. That is the only way of salvation. That is the only hope that we have to believe in Christ, to believe in his perfect life, his crucifixion, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of sins and rising from the grave on the third day. That is the only hope, the only hope. And so I plead with you, friend, to repent and believe in Christ this morning because life and death are at stake. In verses 17 through 23, Jude exhorts believers to remain in the faith. So let's look at verses 17 through 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh." This is a charge here for believers. Persevere in the faith. Keep going, brothers and sisters. Keep going, beloved. Remain in the faith. Verses 17 through 19. Remember what the apostles predicted. So the apostles, what did they predict? They predicted that there would be people that would come and teach contrary to the scriptures. uh, That would teach false teaching. Who would seek to mock, to make fun of the church, and to divide the church. Um, And they would follow these ungodly passions. They would live in unrepentant sin and give way to the flesh. They would also cause divisions within the church because of their unsound doctrine. The church is is to be a unified body of believers that uh, we, we are from different backgrounds. We are diverse people, but come under a unified belief in the gospel, right? And so so there is unity even in the midst of diversity within the body. Uh, we come from different backgrounds. We have different personalities. Uh, we may have different political opinions, uh, but we are unified in the gospel, right? And so, so there is room for diversity within the body, but what he's saying here is that these false teachers have strayed from what is unifying us, which is the gospel, which is the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This has now divided us because you were teaching something contrary to the truth. And so it is of utmost importance for us to remain faithful to sound doctrine. We are a diverse people who are unified under the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He describes these, um, uh, these false teachers who were to come as worldly people who do, not ha- not, who do not have the Holy Spirit. They're not believers. And so just one quick application I would say from that is it so important for us to remember, right? That, that's what he says here. He says, to remember, beloved, remember the predictions of the apostles. And so in just a general sense, we are to be a people who remember, who recall uh, the truth. Uh, we easily forget the truth. I know I do. Um, just as the Israelites, uh, we like to make fun of them because they grumbled as soon as God miraculously uh, delivered them from Egypt. But we are the same way, right? We are exactly the same way. And it is crucial for us to remember truth, to consistently remind ourselves of uh, the most basic doctrines. We must continually preach the gospel to ourselves. And we need brothers and sisters in our lives to, to help us uh, in our walks as well. 
We, we desperately need the word, and we desperately need faithful brothers and sisters to walk alongside us, to remind us of the truth, because we do so easily forget. I know I do. So remember the truth. In verses 20 through 23, Jude tells us to live differently than the false teachers. He, he tells us to build yourself up in the faith. So grow in faithfulness to Christ. Grow in your walk with Jesus. Grow in your knowledge. Continue to feast on his word. Grow in your knowledge of who God is. Grow in love. So this knowledge that we receive, that we, that we grow in, it is to stir our affections for God. It is to stir our passion for God. And it should also store, uh, stir our love for one another as well. Because as we love God, then it, it leads us to love our neighbor, right? That is the fuel that leads us to love one another. We should grow in obedience. We should walk in faithfulness to God's word. So we, we are to be motivated by the gospel to obey, uh, not as these false teachers taught, that because you've been saved by the grace of God, you can go live however you want. No, we are, we are called to obey the word of God because of what God has done in our lives, because of his grace in our lives, because we've been rescued by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now we go and obey. He says to pray in the Holy Spirit. So we are to be a people who pray, who humbly depend upon the Lord, who beseech the Lord in prayer. Romans 8, we see this picture of uh, whenever we are, don't have any words to pray, the, the Spirit is interceding for us. Uh, so we are to be a people who are dependent upon the Lord in prayer. He says to keep yourselves in the love of God. This is an imperative command here. The word keep is. So it's something that we are to obey. We are to keep ourselves in the love of God. So God calls sinners to himself, as we saw in verse 1. It's something that is done to us. And we will see in a few minutes that, that same uh, truth, uh, that he is the one who sustains our faith. However, we do have a responsibility to pursue God, right? To, 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 um, to pursue holiness. Um, and we, we keep ourselves in the love of God by building our, uh, uh, ourselves up in the faith, as, we, as I just said, and as praying in the Holy Spirit. Those are ways in which we keep ourselves in the love of God. And as I, as I mentioned a few moments ago, uh, a major part of keeping ourselves in the love of God is, is remembering the truth, is recalling the truth um, of, of uh, the, the most basic doctrines, the, the truth of God's word, uh, and having brothers and sisters who remind us of that as well. And then lastly, in this section, we see uh, to uh, wait on Jesus's mercy. Wait on Jesus's mercy. Jesus will return one day. He will come back, and we are to wait for the Lord, the, the mercy that we are going to receive. We are going to receive what we don't deserve, eternal life, uh, or, or we're not going to get what we do deserve, eternal judgment. And uh, so we should let our future hope, let our future hope that we have in Christ compel us to live lives that bring glory to him. Uh, real quickly, an aside here, just uh, we see the doctrine of the Trinity at work here. Uh, we see pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of the Father, and wait on Jesus' mercy. And then look back at verse 5. Uh, I, I waited to say this at this point. Verse 5, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that who? Jesus. Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So he says, he, he says here that Jesus, 
save the people out of Israel. Well, Jesus didn't come on this earth until the New Testament, right? Until thousands of years later. So we see the, the, the triune nature of our God. We see that um, God has always existed in three persons, one distinct, uh, one, one person, yet three distinct uh, beings, uh, three distinct persons, excuse me. Uh, John eight fifty six is another example of this. Before Abraham was, I am. This is Jesus speaking. Uh, so just looking to the preexistence of Christ. We read Colossians 1, 15 through 23 earlier as well. We see the, the preeminence of Jesus, he, that he is the creator, that all things were made through him and also for him. Um, and so he is the, 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 the creator of all things, but he is also the end of all things. All things were made for our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is one being and three distinct persons. So this is one of those foundational doctrines that we are to continue to hold fast to, to continue to remind ourselves of um, and continue to teach. Um, a couple of other things in 2023. 20 um, so, Preach the gospel to the lost. We see this language of save others from the fire. Um, so this could be uh, people who possibly claim to be believers but are not walking in the faith, who are not truly regenerate believers, but it also could be those who, who just openly reject the faith. We are to, uh, we are to uh, reach them with the gospel. We are to proclaim the truth to them. Um, because those who don't believe in Christ, those who don't call upon Christ to save them, will be cast into the lake of fire. And then we are also to have mercy on those who doubt and are living in rebellion against God. So we are to be compassionate to those who are doubting, right? So we are to, uh, to love people, even though they are rebelling against God and straying from God. We should love and serve them in tangible ways in order to display the love of Christ and to declare the gospel to them. We should be a people who teach God's word unapologetically, who, who hold to biblical convictions unapologetically, um, but we should do so in a way that is gracious and loving, right? We, we, these, are, these are human beings made in the image of God that we are encountering, that we are dealing with. You know, Jesus, he dined with sinners, right? He spent time with sinners, and as he did, he spoke the truth and love to them. He, he didn't accept their sin, and neither should we. But as the people of God, we are called to enter into people's lives who are rebelling against God, who are living in sin, and to lovingly and graciously speak the truth to them, to serve them, to be an example of godliness, of Christ-likeness to them, but also share the hope of the gospel with them. All human beings are made in God's image, and we have all been infected by sin. You and I, we've all been infected by sin. And brothers and sisters, we need to remember that if it weren't for the grace of God, that we would be just as our friends right, who, who don't know the Lord. If, if it were not for the grace of God, we would still be in that state. And so this should lead us to, to have compassion. This should lead us to have a love for others who, who are rejecting God and his authority and who are living according to the flesh. So Jude charges believers to persevere in the faith. In verses 25, 24 and 25, how do we do that? We see the means by which believers persevere in the faith. God, God keeps the saints until the end. Verse 1, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So God, this is something that is done to us. He calls us to himself, and he keeps us to himself. By the Spirit of God, we are 
kept until Christ returns or until we pass from this earth. Romans 8, 29-30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And if we would continue through Romans 8, 31-39, we would see that nothing, church, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise be to God for that. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He who began a good work in us, Philippians 1, 6, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So he who calls us is the one who keeps us. And so we can rest securely in that. We will encounter tribulations, trials in this life. We will suffer disappointments. We will have illnesses. We will lose loved ones. We will go through divorce. We will experience all kinds of difficulties because of the effects of the fall here on this earth. But beloved, take heart because he who began a good work in you will, he will bring it to completion. So continue to endure, brothers and sisters. Our future on this earth is uncertain, but we can stake our lives on the hope that is found in Christ alone. So brothers and sisters, God has justified you. He is currently sanctifying you, and he will, he will one day glorify you. And on that day, you will enter into the joyous presence of our glorious Lord, the Savior, Jesus Christ. So our God, he keeps us until until the end, He is also the one who is worthy of all glory. God is worthy of all the glory. Our God is the one true God, and there is no other. Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. John 14, 6, Jesus says he is the singular, the way, the truth, the life, and no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through Christ. He is the one who is the one true God. He's the only one who can save us, and he is the one who is deserving of all glory. He is to be ascribed all glory, majesty, and power, and authority. So how are you going to respond to his authority, to his glory? Friend, perhaps you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Christ. You, You are not... You've not trusted in Christ. You're not living your life for him. You're living your life for yourself. How are you going to respond to the one true God who is worthy of all glory and all authority? You can try to reject him. You can live a life that that rejects him. To live in in sinful disobedience, denying our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. But friend, as I said earlier, in love, I'm warning you, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. You will stand before the Lord. And what does Philippians 2 say? Every knee, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So friend, I urge you to repent and believe in the gospel. 
realize the authority and the glory of our, the one true God, realize your sinfulness, humble yourself, repent of your sin, and trust in Christ before it is too late. Because one day, whether you place faith in Christ or not, you will come up under his authority, and you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In conclusion, a couple of applications. First of all, realize that those who live in rebellion against God will be judged. So we've been hammering this home. Those who, uh, who are living in rebellion against God will come under the, the judgment of God. And so, again, perhaps you're here this morning and, and, and you're doubting the claims of Christianity, just as, as Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, did. I would just continue to encourage you to cons- at least be open to considering the truths of the gospel. And one thing that I would say, too, we are, uh, we, we are actually offering a Christianity Explored class uh, coming up this summer. That'll be a seven-week class um, that, that, that will be able to answer some of the questions that you may have about the faith. And so uh, that may be a step for you. If you, are, if you have doubts about God uh, and you'd like to explore more, then that is what that class is about. Bring your doubts, bring your questions, and come be a part of that class this summer. Second application, escape the wrath of God through faith in Christ. Again, I belabor this point. The only hope that we have to escape the wrath of God is by trusting in Jesus Christ, who took on the punishment that you and I deserved. And so God is going to pour out his wrath. He's going to pour out his wrath. It's either going to be upon you or it's going to be on his son, Jesus Christ. And so who is God going to pour out his wrath upon you or are you trusting in Christ? Third, have compassion and love for those who do not know Christ by faith. So again, these are people who are made in God's image. We should, we should have a brokenheartedness of people who don't know the Lord, that we should, we should desire to, uh, to love them, to graciously point them to Christ, and to serve them, and, and to, to just have compassion and, and concern for them. And so we should have a compassion for the lost. Fourth, glorify God as you persevere in the faith by the grace and power of God. So continue to fight the good fight of the faith. As 1 Timothy 6 says, fight the good fight of the faith. Continue to press on, brothers and sisters. Hold fast to sound doctrine. Continue to live in joyful obedience to God, a, a, manner, a life manner in, the, in a manner worthy of the gospel. Cling to God's word and surround yourself with a gospel community that will walk alongside you and help you to remain faithful and to persevere in the faith. Beloved brothers and sisters, Continue to persevere in the faith. Believe and remind yourself of sound doctrine and open up your life to others who can walk alongside you in that as well and to help you persevere in the faith. And by God's grace, continue to fight against sin and to live a life that is pleasing to God. God is worthy of all glory. So seek to live a life that does just that, brings glory to God. Cling to the truth that God will, he will keep you until the end. Cling to that with all of your might. And when you forget this reality, come back to Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Church, would you please pray with me? Lord, I pray this morning that 
you would rescue sinners who are currently under your judgment. Rescue those who are doubting that you are even there. Rescue those who are doubting that Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah, that he really is who he said he is. Lord, help those friends to be open to considering the gospel, to consider and explore the truth of Christianity. God, would you rescue them and give them faith to believe in Christ right now? Lord, I pray for the beloved, the brothers and sisters in Christ this morning who are weary, who are going through trials, who are doubting. God, encourage them this morning with the truth of your word that you have called them and you will keep them until the end. Oh God, encourage them with that reality and may they continue to persevere in the faith. Lord, we praise you that you are the one true God and that you are faithful to keep your beloved until the end. Lord, may we cling to this reality. May we stake our lives on this hope that we have in the gospel. God, I pray and beg that you would do that in each of us because you are worthy of all glory. You are the one true God. You are worthy of all glory now and forevermore. So God, we pray that you would use our lives as we persevere in the faith, as you keep us fast, that we would bring glory to you. We pray all this in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen.